We're going to look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I will read the entire chapter if you will remain standing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen nor ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. My name is John DeLue. I haven't been here for a couple of years, but I'm privileged to come back here this morning and to stand in the shadow of your pastor. As we look at this chapter this morning, I hope that I am able to show you some things that I discovered as I studied this particular scripture. In this particular place in chapter two, we're going to look at the mystery of the wisdom of God, the wonder of it all, if you would say. When I think about the wonders that are in the world, there are a great many today. I wonder often how the world tilts, how the world moves, 
how the seasons change, how the rains come, how the seeds are planted, how there is growth and maturity, and how we are blessed each, each fall. How is it possible, my friends, that not a hair falls from our head without the knowledge of God? The things that are all around us should just amaze us. The wonders are even too numerous to mention. I could stand here for a half hour and just talk about the wonders that we see around us. But this wonder that Paul is speaking about here is not something like that. The wonder that Paul is speaking about is not comprehended by all men. It is a secret. It is visible only to God's elect saints. It is not comprehended by higher intelligence or higher learning. It does not come that way. Philosophers and Stoics cannot understand the gospel. This wonder is very exclusive and it is only comprehended by God's gracious revelation and the will of his plan. This wonder is only revealed to some, to God's chosen people, if you will. And while the world laughs at this wonder, God's people are stunned, speechless by his grace. So let's beginning looking at verse 6 to see who receives this wonder. In the previous verse, Paul tells us that the message and the testimony that he is preaching do not come by great words of wisdom. They do not come by eloquent speech, but by the demonstration of the Spirit and its power. And then in verse 6, he begins by saying, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Paul begins by saying that this wisdom is imparted to the mature. Now for some of you sitting here who are mature, you can tell me, John, there are many aches and pains in my life. I probably see things a little more clearly today than I did before, but I've come through many trials and troubles and difficulty. And so Paul says that the wisdom that he is imparting is for the mature. But he's speaking here of a different kind of maturity. Notice with me that he also uses that little word, we. In other words, all preachers are the ones who reveal the scripture to you in addition to your personal study. Preachers are not called to be famous. Preachers are not called to become earthly wealthy. They are not called to impress the elite. They are called to be faithful expositors of the word. That means that they study. Their knees are bloody because they spend much time in prayer. And they come here each Sunday to show you what they have seen and to help you see the truth. That's what they're called to do. That's why it's called expositional preaching. Some television preachers that I see have only an academic knowledge 
of the gospel. They don't seem to have any divine connection. And so this message this morning is only for believers who know the truth, to whom the truth has been revealed and who are completely trusting in Jesus. This does not mean that it's for people who have been going to church for 30 years. Oh, but that's a good thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe the gospel. It means that this is for people who are in Christ. That doesn't mean they just acknowledge God. It means that they possess a true faith in Christ Jesus. You see, following Jesus is not just about escaping hell. It's about a confidence that is absolutely certain and will not leave you when you are dying or on your deathbed. Many men acknowledge that there is a God, but not all of them believe the gospel. Others believe the gospel of salvation by grace, but want to cling to a worldly lifestyle with earthly pleasure as their king. You see, the gospel is wisdom only for true believers. It's foolishness and a stumbling block for all the others. Paul indicates that in chapter 123. Men may mock Christianity, not because it is foolish, but because they are. And then he, he begins quickly by saying, it is not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. The Christians of Corinth had been pursuing the wisdom of this present age and Paul is quick to correct them because their behavior is indicative of worldly thinking. It's worldly wisdom. Unfortunately, distracted Christians are always nibbling at the table of the world and they become more distracted. But for those who are mature in Christ, they understand this wisdom. While this is not true for the rulers of this present age. If you look up that word doomed in the dictionary, if you still have one, it means to have an inescapable outcome. In other words, the outcome cannot be changed. That's the condition of all the rulers of this present age. Some of our national leaders seem to be completely blind. They seem to be very confused about salvation. Those who are lost are blind, even though they may have many degrees and high self-acclaim, honor in society. They may even be princes and presidents and own yachts and castles, but Paul defines all of them the same way when he calls them the rulers of this present age. Here Paul is speaking eschatologically about the death and the judgment and the final destiny of the unbeliever. The wisdom of this present age is ineffective. I'm telling you it is totally useless. It is devoid of all spiritual knowledge. Much of it is vanity and arrogance. Most of the Jewish scribes and Pharisees could not understand the gospel. And the reason was very simple. 
they were arrogant and they were full of vanity and they could not humble themselves and accept the truth. That's the reason they didn't believe. Even though the world looks upon earthly wisdom with awe, it says that they that possess this wisdom are doomed to pass away. Even though they may seem to be in control of this present age, they have no place in the kingdom of God. They are all perishing. That means that they do not have a true wisdom, but are intoxicated with themselves, with their position, with their words, and with their learning in this present age. You see, true wisdom is imparted only to those whom God chose before the foundations of the earth were laid. True wisdom was not created by philosophers or great thinkers. That's not where it came from. It has no connection to earthly wealth. This was not discovered at a board meeting of the Corinthian corn growers. It is not understood even today by those who study the stars and the planets. And unfortunately, most of our educators today are quick to deny that truth. All human wisdom stands condemned, even when it is thought to be essential, even when it is thought to be effective by the leaders of this present age. The leaders of this age did not design this. They did not promote this idea. We would never have thought of salvation if it had not been revealed. And who would have ever thought of salvation by a crucified Christ? Justification by his righteousness, pardoned by his blood, and salvation by his sacrifice. You can see quickly, this is not a natural wisdom. This is a supernatural wisdom because its origin is divine and it can only be understood by those who are spiritual, even sitting here today. That's the issue that Paul is addressing in the previous chapter because the Corinthian church had misunderstood the difference between the human wisdom and the spiritual wisdom. Now, even though the Corinthians were believers, the problem is that they were acting in a way that is unspiritual, in a fleshly manner, and that happens in many churches today. Paul says, stop quarreling. Stop acting in a fleshly manner. That's the reason that the prosperity gospel seems so attractive today to many in the church. It seems so deceptively biblical, doesn't it? It sounds so good to our ears because our fleshly mind agrees with it. Some Christians are hijacking the church today because they think that earthly wealth is a detour around Jesus, and it's not. A man I once knew said to me, John, I go to church two times a year. I go to church at Christmas and I go to church at Easter. I just want to keep my finger in the pie. 
Many churches want to keep their finger in the pie today. They want to enjoy the pleasures of this present age because it appeals to the flesh. Many want to be on the cutting edge of our present culture and they invite it to infiltrate the church. Those who are immature only have a philosophical understanding of wisdom and that understanding constantly leads them in the wrong direction. The kingdom of God is not understood by philosophers. It is not understood by Stoics or stargazers because their framework is faulty. It is deficient. And so in verse seven, Paul continues by saying, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Did you catch that? This is a secret and hidden wisdom. Your moral faculties do not reveal this to you. Your mind did not conceive of this. No genius thought of this. And man's man's imagination did not discover it. This is not a mathematical calculation and it is not discovered in that way. God has decreed before the ages began that only his chosen and elect people would understand this. Do you often wonder why you are in the church and a part of the kingdom of God? When I was a young boy, I thought about this a lot. I thought, hmm, why don't all people believe this? Or maybe we shouldn't be believing this. No, this was foreordained. This is not an afterthought on God's part. This did not surprise God that man sinned. The King James Version calls this a mystery. It says, but we speak the mystery of the wisdom of God. The mystery refers not to something spooky, It does not refer to something magical, but to things long hidden and now revealed. This is the mystery that lay hidden in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It lay hidden behind all the types and shadows in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's only revealed when we search for it. Paul speaks in Ephesians 3, 3 this way, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. By revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Oh, I want you to catch that. It comes to you and to me only by revelation. This is so inherently great that it surpasses my human comprehension. This was conceived by God in the eternal counsels of his will before the worlds were formed or man took his first breath. Nothing can stop this decreed will of God, praise his name. The gospel and its mystery had been hidden for generations 
and it came only to be revealed by revelation or we would have no clue today. Paul is transforming the mind of these Corinthian believers by eliminating a philosophical thought and he's replacing it with a serious soteriological or a Christological thought. Paul wants them to think about salvation. He wants them to think about the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is not just a cognitive act or an intellectual exercise. No, Paul even says this is for our glory. An essential part of God's decree was that this was for the glory of believers. Who are we that we should receive wisdom, glory, and salvation? We are unimpressive. We are rebellious. We are sinful. We are arrogant. We try to do this on our own at times. You see, the world simply cannot comprehend this. They cannot understand this if it hasn't been revealed. And when it was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, they did not understand it. It says that God chose the foolish and the weak for salvation. And by doing so, he shamed the wise and powerful who are doomed to pass away. Do you ever wonder how some of our political leaders can sound so brilliant and so confident and yet be so far from the truth? But notice God has decreed all this before the ages began. It was for the glory of his kingdom and he reveals this wisdom at precisely the right time in history. Verse 8 continues by affirming none of the rulers of this present age understood this or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's fairly straightforward. Jesus Christ the crucified is the very image of God, his Father. Jesus did not come to dazzle the mind of those who are carnal. He did not come to impress the elite. He did not come to court the favor of the rich and famous. He didn't even come to quote the great philosophers of that day, much to their dismay. But Jesus was visible already to the elect saints in his crucifixion and death. All that is high and exalted in this present age stands in opposition to the rule and authority and wisdom of Jesus. The crucifixion is proof. The rulers of this present age did not possess wisdom because if they had understood what they were doing, they would not have done it. And the outcome would be that Jesus Christ and salvation would not have come to the elect saints. From a strictly human perspective, the crucifixion was a strategic error, wasn't it? Pontius Pilate and Herod did not see this coming. They had no clue. But when Jesus arose from the dead, 
they probably realized their mistake and the greatest cover-up in history began. All of their cover-up was in vain and the gospel began to spread and it continues here today. All of this means, my friends, that the gospel, what you believe in your heart, is a divine revelation. It's not an invention of man. It did not come to you sitting in the restaurant. You did not dream of this some night. All of this is by divine revelation. That's the wonder of this all. Paul continues by saying in verse 9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I think this passage is often under, misunderstood. I think that when people think about this passage, they're thinking, this is all about the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that is a part of it. Yes, indeed, it is. But Paul is not just speaking about the wonders of heaven. He's speaking about the wonder of it all. The wonder of the wisdom of God that God has prepared this for us to be understood by revelation, not by our human capacity. You see, God chose the poor, the lowly, the despised, many times the uneducated. These are the people that God chose to reveal this wisdom to. It's the greatest power in all the world. It has continued for many, many years, and it will end in culmination with the resurrection of the dead and the glory of Jesus. This was ordained before man took his first earthly breath. Paul speaks about this in a negative sense, too, when he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. In other words, unless God gives us eyes to see, unless he gives us ears to hear, and unless he gives us minds to understand, we're going to miss this. We're not going to get it. And then he reinforces all of this by saying what God has prepared for those who love him. You get that? This is only for those who love God. Our eyes and our ears and our minds did not reveal this to us. Spiritual things can only be understood and interpreted, as the scripture says, by those who are spiritual. There is no way for the reprobate to understand this. Don't be so angry with him. He cannot understand this. But you can. There is no way for believers to miss this because it comes only by divine revelation. That's the wonder of it all. Divine revelation comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's something the world will never understand. It's not able to. All people are born unregenerate but we come to a saving knowledge of the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
A saving knowledge does not just believe in Christ, but it embraces him. All of this is affirmed in verse 10 when it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That natural person does not understand or discern spiritual things. Only those who have been called by God and to whom it has been revealed. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God called you. He set you apart. Throughout all of your life, he's been revealing this to you. So you are a child of grace. He chose to do this in every one whom he selected to be sons and daughters of the kingdom. Who can know the mind of God? Who can understand this? The hidden things of God come only to those whom, to whom he chooses to reveal it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and he's the agent alone who knows the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. He's the agent that God has chosen to reveal those things to you and me. This is what we know as inspiration. And it can only be understood by God's elect saints. And so since this is something that man cannot discover on his own, I hate to say this, but the unbeliever will never possess it. The deep things of God are only understood by the Spirit. That's part of this mystery. This is how God chose to do it. God's plan cannot fail. It will not fail. The elect saints of God will always remain the elect saints of God. You will never perish. You will never fall away. You will never become an unbeliever. That's the wonder of it all. This is never going to be reversed. It cannot be changed. It is our eternal security. And it comes only to God's chosen people. Praise his name forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the wonder of it all. Who are we that we should receive revelation by the power of your spirit that you would call us to be separate from the world, to inherit the eternal kingdom, and to praise your blessed name forever. Bless us as we leave this place and fill our hearts with the wonder of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebration hymnal 738.